0: This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the illiterate. Oh, nope. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, force of habit there. This is not the uh, illiteracy (laughs) podcast. Uh this is just the regular old Heartland Daily Podcast. See, I told you that spider has me all screwed up. Anyway, uh I'm Tim Benson, senior policy analyst at the Heartland Institute, a national free market think tank, and I'm doing some uh pinch hitting today on the uh the regular old uh, Heartland Daily Podcast with this one uh little uh, special special episode today of this podcast. So, um we'll get into that in a second, but yeah, if you like this podca- podcast, please consider giving the Heartland Daily Podcast a five-star review at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to this show, and also by sharing with your friends, is that's the best way to support programming like this. And my guest today, our guest today, is Jonathan Butcher, the Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation, and the author of Splintered Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. But he's not here to talk about his book, which we've already done a little while ago, and which is great, and you should go out and buy it if you already haven't and give it a read if you already haven't but uh he's here today to talk about uh Heritage's new Education Freedom Report Card. So uh Jonathan, well first of all, uh thanks for coming back on again. Uh I appreciate it. Um why don't you tell everybody uh just exactly what is the Education Freedom Report Card? Uh what was the impetus behind it and uh what's the uh the purpose of the report or, the, or you know the the goal of the report card?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, and it's a pleasure to be here. Our report card is meant to be a resource that's a model, right? It's meant to be an example for state lawmakers who are looking to give more students in their states access to a quality learning option. And so we provide not only an analysis of what's happening in states around the U.S. in terms of their policies for assigned public schools as well as private schools and homeschooling, but also education spending and transparency and models, right? Model legislation, ideas and analysis about what is happening with the way that assigned public schools are operating so that state lawmakers can say, hey, look, I mean, we want students to have a great learning opportunity, especially coming out of COVID. And with all of the, I mean, frankly, dismal news that we are hearing about student achievement right now. We have, you know, created this as a resource so that lawmakers have a place to go, right, as they look towards, mm. uh, especially the next legislative session.
0: Yeah. How long did it take you guys to put it together?
1: I mean, we've spent the better part of really the end of last year and the, and, and through the spring to gather the different data that we put together and and that's you know worth explaining right i mean we we are not just taking one indicator or looking at one test score and saying all right we're going to rank this state based on this one thing we actually have a a quite a, a variety actually of different categories that we use including school choice academic transparency regulation issues of regulatory freedom or lack thereof and then spending, or you know, better said, return on investment. Mm-hmm. How are states using taxpayer resources to improve student performance on the most reliable indicators that we have of student achievement? This one is really the nation's report card.
0: Yeah, uh, let's get into that uh, methodology for a bit. Um, like you said, you have these four broad categories with the uh, education choice, you know, regulation, regulatory burden, Transparency of the education system and then spending return on investment. But there's also, uh, I'm trying to guess just by when I was reading through it, a couple dozen at least of sort of uh, subcategories or that went into each um, different, you know, regular category. So let's talk about um, education choice. First, And what are the what are all the or, the, or at least the most important um, uh, uh, variables that went into, um, you know, the education choice ranking?
1: Sure. And school choice was important to our whole report card hmm. because we weighted actually the school choice indicators so that essentially more points were given. Right. To right. states that have very strong parental choice options in education. And that was done on purpose, right? I mean, we feel like that is the change that will really redirect the education landscape in the United States as we know it, right? So that's why we we gave it a weighting. Under private school choice, the states who uh, gained points were those that have strong education savings account options, right? So the ones that come to mind, of course, are Florida, which ranked overall number one on our Mm -hmm. report card, and then followed by Arizona, which actually ranked first in, educa- in school choice, right? So Arizona was first in our school choice category. Uh, Florida, I believe, ranked third. And so, you know, you have these two states that are really at the top of our report card. We're also at the top of the school choice side. And then, you know, into this calculation, into our algorithm, if you want to call it that, was the proportion of eligible students as well as the proportion of students who are participating. So it's not just, do you have a private school choice option, but are students using it? And could more students access it if they wanted to? Right? Mm-hmm. Is it is it actually creating freedom? Uh, we talk about the design of these choice programs. Do they have requirements that make it difficult for private schools to participate? Um, on the side of charter schools, right, where we have a ranking for whether or not there is a a rating uh, where they rank on the national charter school ranking and scorecard for the center for education reform they of course are a great research institute in dc as well um and homeschooling law we looked at the uh, homeschool legal defense association and how they rank each state's homeschooling law so all of that right went into eventually the number that that came out
0: yeah and it's not just um when you're talking about education choice you're not uh, obviously you mentioned charters so you're not talking just about private schools You're also talking about, uh, you know, public school choice uh, policies too, Um, you know, whether a state has an uh, open enrollment policy for uh, public schools, um, you know, the the size of the uh, local school districts, you know, and the the population, the student population of those districts, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I I didn't mention that. I mean, we do have a section of this ranking that deals with an open enrollment policy, whether or not you can choose a different... Public school, traditional public school on the other side of town, on the other part of the state, um, and like you were saying, students per district, the size of the district, all of these things went into our, our component of the public school choice side of our of our over, overall school choice ranking.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, on to uh, the regulatory side, the regulation regulatory burden, what were the, um, the variables that went into coming up with that ranking?
1: Sure. And I think many people may not realize that, you know, the public education systems around the US have a lot of similarities, right? State to state, even Mm -hmm. though they're all governed by, you know, their own set of state laws. But there are some things, sadly, right, that have become very common, and I think have inhibited the ability of assigned district schools really to meet their, uh, their ultimate goals, which is helping students to succeed in school and in life. So the first part of our regulatory ranking had to do with whether or not competent professionals can leave their job and go into the teaching profession. How hard would it be for Bill Gates to teach <laughs> computer science? How difficult would it be for an engineer at Honeywell to, you know, go and teach math or physics, right? And many states, you know, uh, actually make it quite difficult to Get a teacher certificate. I mean, there's a process of taking a praxis exam. Sometimes you have to have hours of student teaching, and all of these different things. Which, you know, research has found that just because a teacher has uh, a certain certification, or even a degree in teaching, or you know, something that is very common in the education workforce in terms of you know qualifications, hmm. it it does not correlate to uh, better outcomes for students, right? So this this sort of um, uh, funnel, if you will, that's been created as as it, students go through college and then into colleges of education and then follow the process on to take the various exams and, and such to become a teacher, you know, all of that is not necessarily uh, guaranteeing, right, that students, that, that teachers, excuse me, are going to be ready for what they're going to face in the classroom. So that was one, right? We, we mm. want a, a state to have the ability for what is called alternative certification. So that's a big one. The other one, and this is something that's been in the news in recent months, especially last couple of years, is this question of uh, chief diversity officers, which <laughs> as my colleague Jay Green and a researcher that he worked with named James Paul, they did a study of uh, large school districts around the country and whether or not they have a staff person whose sole job, is to promote this, frankly, very partisan agenda, right? I mean, this question of, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, this is a, a political ploy. There is no strong academic basis for what is DEI, yeah. what should be taught. And frankly, I think, as many people know, who anyone, right, who's seen the shout downs on college campuses, who's seen the um, material that's being taught in many K-12 systems that promotes you know a uh, racial identity and gender identity and you know these um uh, they are identity politics is really what they are they know that you know these these cdos are are creating a um, the very opposite of what is authentically diversity especially diversity of thought yeah. equity which really should be equality under the law and inclusion which means that no matter what you think you get to have you know, your say in a, in a, in a public square, right? So uh, so anyway, so that's why we, we gave a lower ranking to the districts or the, the states that had a lot of chief diversity officers, especially in their large districts. And then finally, for those who can remember the Common Core mm-hmm. movement several years ago, that really, um, I think, was a colossal failure to improve student achievement. And that was what it was sold as, right? Mm-hmm. The Common Core was sold as this um sort of take it out of the box apply it in your school and it will you know raise student um success because you have this common set of standards that everybody will be held to so if you have a requirement that you use a common core test in your state which i would say fortunately is actually becoming uh less and less likely these days i think the uh, the two tests that were very common under the common core are being are being used less and less. So Mm. anyway, points were taken off for those things. So that was, that's kind of a long explanation of how we looked at a state and said, all right, what are the biggest things that we see that are regulations? What are the ways in which bureaucrats are trying to, um, manipulate the way that schools operate and are limiting the choices that families and students have to find something that meets their needs?
0: Gotcha. All right. And then transparency and and the, uh, the ability for parents um, to to make the best decisions uh, about their children's education, given off of the information they're provided. Uh, what um, what were the, uh, the the variables for the transparency category?
1: Sure, and I, I can go go through this one faster. I think than the last. It's also been in the news a lot, right? We've heard a lot about states that are prohibiting compelled speech. Right states that I think are appropriately saying that no student should be forced to affirm something from critical race theory or affirm some idea that violates the Civil Rights Act. Right, like, that individuals should be separated according to skin color for different projects. So, so if a state has a strong law that rejects racial discrimination, uh, especially by way of compelled speech, they were given points for that. Um, also, the number of organizations. Uh, parent organizations available in a state that were that are defending student rights. Uh, Parents defending education was one of our sources for this, and I highly recommend those to you know, that that organization to everyone who's listening. Um, the number of incidents in K-12 schools dealing with either censorship or racial discrimination, by way of something like an affinity group, uh, points were were taken off for states that had higher numbers of those. And then this last one was was the big one, and and that had to do with whether or not parents have access to what's being taught in schools and i would call this academic transparency so it's not just textbooks it's not just um homework it's all of these things right parents should know what is the reading list what is in a textbook right what are the homework assignments they should be able to see this material so if they have questions or objections they can take it to a teacher or a school official
0: yeah it boggles my mind that in so many places like you a parent can't uh, that like what is going to be taught that, uh, that semester or that quarter in that class is not, you know, is not made available to them to look at for themselves and to see, you know, uh, what the plan is, where the student should be, uh, every day or every week or, you know, what have you. And, uh, you know, just the, uh, the amount of, hand that comes from unions and uh, others about you know making that stuff available to the parents
1: well and remember during covid when school was online right, yeah. all students at one point schools had to do this yeah so there's really no excuse now to say suddenly the internet doesn't work in school right i mean it's nonsense of course you can put it on the web so parents can see it and look parents know i mean they they are well aware of programs like blackboard and canvas and Mm -hmm. schoology right these are all programs that are designed for parents to see grades homework assignments email a teacher right these are all interfaces that have been created for expressly this purpose right so parents can have more information
0: yeah yeah all right so and then the final category we get to uh in the methodology is the spending and return of investment return of investment uh category um, yeah. So, again, just sort of the same thing. Just talk about the, the variables and that made this one up.
1: Sure. So if the first is, is going to sound is obvious. Right. We, we looked at the per student spending uh, for different states. And then we looked at uh, we adjusted that figure for cost of living, cost of living. Right. To see uh, what it what it costs in a state given. Uh, the various prices and things like that in the and the uh, uh, the economic environment in different states. we looked on we looked at the average score on the nation's report card uh, compared to what is spent, right in terms of spending per people. We looked at the teacher to non-teacher ratio. Uh, I don't know that many people are aware that the ratio of instructional staff, so teachers mm. to non-instructional staff i e, anybody else that works in a school is about one-to-one, right? Taxpayers are paying for just as many administrators as they are educators right. around the country on average. Um, also, unfunded pension liabilities, which is a big deal for states like Illinois, for example, uh, that have uh, just woeful uh, pension problems. And uh, so, so all of these things went into not just a question of how much does a state spend, but what are they getting yeah. for how much, they, how much taxpayer money they're using.
0: Yeah, and that teacher to non-teacher ratio you mentioned, that's something that has ballooned substantially in the last uh, 20 years or so. I mean, we were talking about the, you know, the DEI, uh, administrators earlier. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, people don't sort of think about that, but, you know, <laughs> every dollar that's spent on, um, on some administrator, uh, you know, some bureaucrat or, you know, uh, middle management in, in a school is a dollar that's not, um, you know, not going to a teacher or it's not going, you know, into classroom, into classroom learning. So even though, even though spending may be going up, um, you know, uh, uh, in state budgets and whatnot, that doesn't necessarily mean that all that money is getting, uh, you know, sent into a classroom.
1: You're absolutely right, and I think that more states really should be doing what the Arizona Auditor General does. I've always been impressed. Um, I you know, read a lot from the Arizona Auditor General when I was at the Goldwater Institute some years ago, but they produce an annual report with a look at every school district in the state, how much they spend per student, and then what percent of all of that spending actually goes to classroom expenses and what winds up going to administrators, and it's frankly shocking right i mean there yeah. there are school districts there that are you know spending maybe 50 cents on the dollar right actually in the classroom and so i think that more and i'm sure that arizona is not alone right i'm sure that mm-hmm. there are other states where this is you know that's that's quite common and you know one of the one of the comments that that i've seen to our report card is well look you didn't um rank you know states that are scoring really high Uh, in average scores on NAEP, you didn't rank them very high because clearly their, their students are achieving. So, you know, how come you didn't just rank those states well? And so the answer is, if you look at a state like, let's take, I'll pick on Massachusetts, right? The per student spending is pretty high in Massachusetts and taxpayers are paying a lot for a 20 point or more In some cases achievement gap between white students and black students Mm -hmm. or white students and Hispanic students in certain cases so just because you have a high average score in a state doesn't mean you're helping every child access a quality learning experience and for those who you know don't follow education policy may not realize that there was an active effort to block the growth of charter schools in Boston about you know five or six years ago so You know, just because you have high average scores for one subset of students doesn't mean that you're helping those children who need it the most. Right. We're not looking at average scores, which, you know, are driven by, say, a state that has a high population of, you know, upper class students or Mm -hmm. students from different backgrounds. We we need an education freedom landscape here. Right. Where students, no matter their background, can have access quality options
0: yeah I'm glad you you brought that up uh, because I was just about to ask you about that you know uh, for people listening there from uh, you know say Massachusetts or or uh, New Jersey which I think are usually like number one number two uh, pretty much every uh, every couple of years on the NAEP score um, that uh, you know hey how can you know how can we be in the the bottom five of these rankings? Uh, you know, if, if our students are performing so well. So I'm glad you, uh, brought that up. So, but, um, let's talk about the, uh, the top five and the, uh, the bottom five. Um, we, we've already brought up Florida and Arizona a little bit and then Massachusetts. So Florida, Arizona, Idaho, Indiana, South Dakota are the, uh, the top five states in the ranking in, on the report card. And then the, uh, bottom five, um, starting with the, worst to least worst is uh the district of columbia is number 51 new york 50 new jersey 49 maryland 48 massachusetts 47 um so obviously you've told us all uh, you know what's going into the methodology and we can pretty much figure out that um the the bottom 5 states are doing all of those uh poorly uh for the most part and then the top 5 states are doing are are scoring high across uh, all those categories. But is there anything uh, specifically um, that those states are doing that are moving them up really, really high or keeping them very, very low?
1: Well, you know, we mentioned that school choice was, was Mm -hmm. weighted. And so obviously, you know, Florida has an education savings account program. They have the largest private school scholarship program for children, From low income families, by the way, as well as a private school voucher program for children with special needs, as well as a a um, a good charter school landscape. So and an open enrollment law. So it's got all of those things. Same with Arizona. Um, And I would I would note, too, that Florida, of course, you know with coverage under the governor DeSantis, has worked very hard on this transparency issue and mm-hmm. and issue of of allowing you know protecting individuals from discri- discrimination and all these things so that you know that puts florida uh, you know puts florida up there uh, i would mention you know for state lawmakers who see a state like let's take south dakota they don't rank necessarily very high on school choice or regulatory freedom but on transparency they do very well and that was in part because of an executive order from the governor Earlier this year, that said, no individual should be compelled to affirm any idea that violates the Civil Rights Act, right? I mean, they, right. they took on this question of protecting individuals from discrimination uh, very seriously. Um, other states such as uh, West Virginia did well on school choice, but I believe that once their education savings account law actually goes into effect, I think that uh, I, I would expect to see them uh, climb higher. Um, Utah did very well on this, this issue of spending and return on investment. Um, so they, they ranked very well there. I would say at the bottom, I mean, look, Washington DC has the nation's only federally funded voucher program. It's for children with special needs, but Congress routinely tries to kill it. Congress or the white house, right? Yeah. Routinely tries to kill it every year, uh, or almost every year. And so I think that it's, it's really been, uh, kept at, you know, somewhere South of 2000 students. This is something that really should be expanded uh, to give more students, you know, better quality options. They actually do better on school choice than any of their other categories because they have a pretty healthy char- charter charter mm-hmm. school sector. Although even there, I think there's always a fight between charter school operators and school and you know the school board trying to get access to vacant buildings. So you know that's something that's you know that's worth looking into. Um, you know, New York. Uh, You know, there are districts in New York that were following the Black Lives Matter week of action at schools, you know, guiding (laughs) principles about, you know, trying to dismantle the nuclear family and, you know, all all of these these kind of radical ideologies. That's, you know, New York clearly was um, uh, I I would put them at a place that uh, is everyone should be, you know, kind of paying attention here to what big, big districts like New York City are doing on these issues, because many other uh, I would argue Radical districts with, I would say, radical leaders are going to try to follow. Um, and then, you know, we mentioned Massachusetts and, and Maryland as, you know, as well. They may do well on average scores on NAEP, for example. But, you know, in Maryland, school districts like Montgomery County are paying, I think it was half a uh, half a million dollars for equity audits, and, um, you know, there are things being done in school districts in some of these states that are clear examples of of uh, taking the focus off of student achievement and putting it on some sort of political agenda
0: mm-hmm. were there any states that uh, that surprised you with their rankings good or bad was you know when you were putting this together were you like oh wow uh, so-and so's in the top 20 or, or, or oh wow you know so-and-so's in the you know the, the, the bottom 20 or was there was there anything that um, you expected the, uh, when you were When you guys were putting this together, was there any state that you expected to be higher or lower and then turned out not to be?
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, my hope is that Texas moves up in the rankings. I think that, um, you know, Texas has long struggled to create more private uh, school choice uh, options for families. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that they do have a, um, you know, they do have a healthy charter school sector, but I think that it's that's an area in which they could improve as well as as in this issue of transparency they did enact a provision dealing with you know trying to deal with critical race theory last year um, however there's some provisions in there that we need to keep an eye on they they actually talk specifically about banning certain content yeah. and i think that that's a uh, the wrong way to go right i don't, I don't think we should be looking for books to ban we need to and i've seen others in the conservative movement say this so this isn't my own you know i haven't come up with this this concept here but we're talking about age appropriate material right Right. yeah The, the issue here is not you know well we should have you know um uh books like you know lawn boy or um other you know the gender queer you know these kinds of things that have been in the headlines we should have them in in libraries, uh, school libraries, otherwise it's not freedom of speech. Well, no, because it's not age appropriate for a second grader to be reading that kind of material, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the responsibility of an educator to be conscious and aware of what is appropriate to expose students to at, at different times in their life. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Texas actually, like I said, I'm just looking at their, their little section of the report card. They rank uh, overall you know, fairly high. They're uh, 12th overall in the ranking, but their their school choice ranking is is a pretty low, um, it's a number 35th and then, uh, they don't, uh, yeah, as you said, Texas doesn't provide any sort of, uh, private, uh, school choice, uh, options at all. But, um, I know this wasn't part of the rankings, uh, or it didn't get into it, but did you find any, um, correlation between say the strength of, uh, the strength of the teachers unions in a particular state uh, and that state's uh, ranking on the report card?
1: Well, I mean, look, if you look at the bottom 10, I, I, I think it's almost, you know, unmistakable, right? I mean, yeah. Illinois is from two, you've got Rhode Island, 44, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York. I mean, these are all states that have very strong teacher union presence. So I, I think that there's there's no, I don't think it's just a coincidence. <laughs> I, I think that the teachers unions, you know, have helped to drive those. I mean, you know, look at, because you look at again, we were talking about what happened in Boston a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with charter schools. Something very similar has has happened in Chicago, right, uh, where the unions helped to block the uh, the growth of charter schools in that city. Um, so I, I think there's uh, there's clear it's clearly not an accident. It's not an accident. Um, I think you know I think one of the things that I hope lends credibility to our report card is that as you look through states that let's see have a high ranking on different areas. So let's take Missouri, for example, has a pretty pretty good ranking when it comes to school choice, when it comes to uh, regulatory freedom and spending. However, they ranked 51st in transparency. Yeah. Uh, for the reasons that we've outlined here, Oklahoma, same thing, right? They've got a pretty good school choice ranking, you know, spending, et cetera, but they ranked 46th on transparency. So, you know, we we take into account here that states may do something very good on this one. You know, in these one or two areas over here, but that that doesn't mean that we can somehow overlook, right? Uh, right, or not take into consideration what's going what's going wrong because that you know that can create an environment where not every family again um, has the chance to you know to pursue success for their for their student.
0: Yeah, uh, Missouri, specifically, uh, they're uh, in. Three out of the four car- categories, they're uh, a top ten state uh, in their top five in school choice, but that, that transparency ranking at at 51, you know, drops them all the way to, uh, you know, 17th overall in the ranking. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, so that's uh, pretty wild. But um, uh, one more thing, I guess, before we sort of start wrapping it up. Um, I know you did you guys did the unveiling uh, or the, the big uh, sort of... Uh, uh, <laughs> our yeah our, our yeah your uh your uh co- your grand opening sort of thing with Florida down here in Orlando with uh, uh governor DeSantis um as the keynote speaker I believe and uh, have you guys uh do you know if uh has anything been signaled from uh Florida state legislature uh, legislators or uh, the the DeSantis uh, uh from the governor's office about uh, pushing Florida uh, in a direction of the universal ESA like Arizona, you know, Arizona started, sort of sort uh, stole Florida's thunder there this year uh, with that. Has there been any talk about uh, making a push for that before? Um, you know, I have a pretty good feeling that uh, my governor wants to run for a president at some point, uh, maybe sooner rather than later. So um, you know, it would be I think for him it would be you know quite the feather in the cap to point to. Uh, this uh, new latest victory um, for parents and for children in Florida to have uh, you know universal school choice down here
1: well, I think that um, certainly the school choice advocates in the state are talking about it and i I think one of the things that impresses me about Florida over the past few years is that they even even as they have expanded some eligibility provisions for their you know existing catalog right of school mm-hmm. choice options they also i think have i think um responsibly sort of combined programs that didn't need to be standalone programs so they combine yes, the education yeah. savings account with the McKay voucher they you know they're they're looking for ways i think to make these options more accessible and more I would argue efficient, right. In terms of operation. So, um, I, you know, I would hope that, uh, Florida and, and lawmakers in every state, you know, would be looking at, at the same, you know, at that same goal, right. At the right. same objective.
0: All right, cool. So, uh, how often are you guys going to update this? Is this going to be, uh, is it going to be like consistently updated? Like, uh, every time we get a law passed or something like that or, uh, some change in policy or is it going to be like, a annually, like once a year, you're going to redo the rankings or,
1: uh, how is that going to work? I believe at this point we're looking to do it every year. And I know that we're already starting the process of updating it for next year. Um, and, uh, I think that we we will be, I believe adding some components that should make this even more precise. I think there are some things that we see that would help to, um, not, not necessarily change our calculation but Hmm. make the calculation better representative of of where states wind up and and hopefully um you know remove because look in any in any kind of ranking or calculation like that there's there's always there's some subjectivity to it there's some choices we had to make about good bad and that kind of thing and so i think the more that we can add in variables uh that that make it more more precise i think put it put a finer point on it uh, the better for for lawmakers, the, the better tool it becomes, you know, for state policymakers. So, uh, so yeah, keep an eye keep an eye on next year because I think I think we have some some good things that we'll be adding to it to make it uh, make it even better.
0: Right, great, very cool. So, uh, all right, is there anything uh, anything else you want to plug while you're here? Anything going on? Anything coming up you want, want people to know about?
1: Well, we're excited for the release of of this report card, and uh, I also. You know, part of the rankings here used research that my colleague Jay Green, for one, has done over the past year, year and a half, looking at, I mean, simply just counting the number of either uh, staff or programs in colleges or K 12 schools that represent this really aggressive radical agenda that is taking the focus off of math and reading and putting it on, you know, identity politics. And I, I think just knowing what the environment looks like is uh, is important. It's important for policymakers and families to be able to recognize, you know, what what are we doing here, right? We're, we're at a yeah. point where students are struggling. We need to be focusing on getting them, you know, getting them back where they need to be academically and not, not some sort of activist, you know, six-hour school day.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, my hat's off to all you guys for putting this together. I know how much of a pain in the butt it can be for this stuff uh, heartland did a uh, welfare reform report card uh, a few years back which i wasn't involved in because that's not my topic area thank god uh, but i just remember <laughs> you know how much uh, blood sweat and tears went into it and it's a it's a lot to uh, put something like this together and uh, you guys did a really excellent job with it <clears throat> uh, excuse me for those of you out there um listening that's uh the the website where you can reach this which is uh, dot heritage.org.org slash education report card um you can go and check it out it has it all broke down you can break down you can just see the states and where they rank uh by themselves and just you know click on your state and see uh what it's doing well what it's not doing well or you know what it needs to improve that sort of thing and you can um you can also uh compare state versus state there's a tool to do that function uh and then again as you said you provide the uh the model legislation um on there as well not just from not just from heritage but uh, there's also a couple a couple things on there from goldwater the goldwater institute out in arizona and uh institute for justice ij who both do uh, great works and then again you can also you know check out the methodology of the report and all that sort of stuff so it's really uh it's really a uh nice interactive website it's a you know it's a easy way to lose yourself for (laughs) for half an hour or an hour just uh, you know clicking around and finding stuff out and uh you know seeing stuff so highly highly recommend everybody out there parents parents especially legislators especially uh check that out and uh you know uh, fart around on there for a while and uh you know and, and explore so and uh yeah so everyone check that out and again my guest, Jonathan Butcher, uh, the Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you again very, very much for coming on. Uh, sort of short notice. I sort of broke this with you uh, last week. So thanks for taking the time out to do this. Uh, I appreciate it as always.
1: Well, thank you. And, and anytime.
0: Yeah, no problem. All right. And again, if you like this podcast, please leave the Heartland Daily Podcast a five star review and share with your friends. And for more information about the Heartland Institute, Go to heartland.org. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care. Love you, Robbie. Love you, Mom. Bye-bye.